0: Thank you. It's a it's a huge honor to be here and uh, to address this uh, group of audience. And I want to thank Ryan for uh, the work your organization is doing to 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 bring back the dead or or prevent the ones that are close to being dead. And I want to talk to you guys about another organization that's uh, trying to prevent many lives from being dead in the future. And um, before I talk about that, let me tell you, it's, uh, it's, it's really frightening to stand in front of you guys, the super intelligent people <laughs> that are thinking about things many, many thousands of years from now. And um, I would love to hear your input. Uh, so I am Uma Valedi. I'm an interventional cardiologist uh, and cardiac imager by the day at the University of Minnesota. And uh, I'm on the board of directors of New Harvest uh, by nights and weekends. Um, I, I am a deep believer in the E.A. movement, whether it's um, trying to save a patient's life by the bedside in cardiac arrest or, or, or out of heart attack, or uh, trying to save the 10 to the fifty-eighth la- cosmic lives that Nick talked about yesterday, <laughs> if you were at Nick Bostrom's talk. So um, anyway, New Harvest is a grant-making organization, and uh, it's trying to establish the field and industry of making animal products without the use of animals, and that means... Uh, um, Milk, leather, uh, meat, uh, textiles, anything that could be made at the cellular level. So uh, I'm going to start with this quote from uh, my close friend, Winston Churchill. (laughs) If Ryan can bring him back. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, This is what he said in 1931. Fifty years hence, we shall escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken in order to eat a breast or wing by growing these parts separately in a suitable medium. So that was 1931. And since I'm I'm the alter ego for Winston, I took the liberty of changing that quote a little bit Mm -hmm. to saying it's absurd to grow a whole pig in order to eat ham or bacon, when we could grow the same parts using a suitable medium. And I'll take it a step further, that it's uh, it's, uh, absurd to grow a whole cow in order to eat steak or uh, jerky. So, Now, this is uh, 2015, so we are 80-plus years since uh, this quote was made, and, uh, and uh, uh, that's the reason why we are here. The way we want to make these uh, uh, animal products uh, is completely different than how absurd it is now, even more than what Winston Churchill imagined in 1931. The mass production of animals has uh, caused the problems with, uh, with widespread disease whether it's viral epidemics or antibiotic resistance. The, the animal welfare issues that J.C. Reese uh, very elegantly talked about yesterday um, with gestation crates or wheel crates or battery cages. Um, and for the environmental issues, the huge issues related to um, land degradation, deforestation, or water pollution. Take any of those causes and um, animal culture uh, in the way we do it now is one of the top three offenders for any of those environmental issues. so, But the current trajectory of food production using animals is not going in the right direction. If you look at this work from Martin Zuda from University of Alberta that was published last year, on your left-hand side is the chicken from 1950s. It was uh, less than a kilogram, and it took about 10 weeks before it got to slaughter. On the right-hand side is a chicken now that's uh, slaughtered about uh, Uh, at six weeks, so two-thirds of of the life of a chicken uh, 50 years ago, and also at four kilograms, so four times the weight at a much younger age. Um, So clearly that creates problems with overheating on how big these animals are and uh, musculoskeletal mechanical problems, cardiovascular disease problems and that's not uh, really supported, even in the general public when they became aware of it. And there are some very um, uh, you know, creative ideas. And you see uh, the example of a featherless chicken that can be confined to to grow into a larger animal but without feathers can also have more freedom to move. So, uh, I mean, there are featherless chickens, but it's hardly a solution because there's surface damage and there's uh, problems from insect bites and diseases from lack of a covering. And there's also a project that was commissioned by the Royal College of Arts. This was an architect that was very... um, uh, Creative in creating the center for unconscious farming. What that means is you'll have um, you'll have animals or chickens without cerebral cortex, just have the brain stem that'll keep their cardio respiratory function mm-hmm. alive, and they will be exercised with mechanical things along the supply chain, and they won't, the animals won't feel pain. But you're just going to be mass producing them to get away from the conscious pain these animals or sentient beings feel. That's a uh, uh, on the, on the extreme right, you have uh, virtual reality for animals. So they can believe that they're in a surrounding that's, <laughs> that gives them a little joy, like uh, Nick Bostrom said. But to create this much technology, to create this little joy, I think is hardly the way to go. So we're thinking about transformative things. Of, of In this day and age, do we still need to grow a whole organism to break it down into little pieces for the simple tissue that we like to eat? Or can we fundamentally change this paradigm and grow this tissue from the fundamental building blocks of life, from cells. So this is our vision. Our goal is to produce a world where we can harvest animal products without, human li- without uh, harming life. And we know that this work is possible because for the last 14 months, New Harvest has been working in bringing a group of talented people uh, to try to make this world possible. And these are early prototypes of uh, milk produced in cell culture, Without the use of cows, of uh, egg whites produced in cell culture, without the use of hens, and a beef burger that was uh, uh, produced in, in in the lab without the use of cow. And it's just not food. We're not focused on just replacing a couple of food products on the shelf, but it also goes into in, to in, into other products that we use, textiles like Bold Threads is doing with uh, with innovating silk, and uh, Modern Meadow is doing with growing leather in the lab, and uh, it also makes a big difference for conservation and sustainability for these endangered species. This is a black rhino uh, that's hunted and, uh, by the thousands every year, and uh, the weight of the rhino horn's value is more than its weight in gold. So there is a group called Pembient that's trying to grow this rhino horn in the lab because there's a huge demand for this in China. And the goal is to, to also help with conservation. The thing that's preventing this world from existing in the way we want it to exist, of course, is a lack of dedicated funding for this new field that we're calling cellular agriculture. And I'll tell you why this is a problem. You've got the medical science bubble where all this technology is already being worked on uh, by, by tissue engineers or cell biologists in cell culture labs to grow organs for regenerative medicine. But they're tied by the big grants they have to prove benefit to humans and the work that they're doing in pharma. And most of them would love to do this work, but they're they're, they're bound by their deadlines. They are pressured to publish. And maybe people like Mark Post started doing this work in the corner in a lab on the side um, and and trying to bring this out. Now you would say, why doesn't the food science work in it? But the food science group does not have traditional equipment for tissue culture or cell culture. And therefore, this overlap exists where we need this new field of cellular agriculture. But it doesn't receive any funding because it's not a well-defined space. And that's, what, that's our mission. Our mission is to create enough awareness in this so that we can kickstart just not a field, but an industry that can help us make animal products without the use of animals. And here's the catch-22. You need, you need data to get funding, and you need funding to get data. And this is the problem with all non, uh, nonprofits. And, and that's where we come in as a nonprofit, to, to try to bring in talent and the resources that are required to, to uh, have these people with ideas collide and make something happen and make it into realities. Um, we've in, the, in a very short period, since Jason Matheny, one of the leading thinkers in artificial intelligence, and he's uh, you know, been at the existential risk uh, discussion yesterday, founded New Harvest many years ago with the vision of really trying to solve these problems. And it's become the global authority on, uh, on, on cellular agriculture. It's the point of contact for media, researchers, entrepreneurs, startups, investors, uh, philanthropists, and foundations. And and we're really excited because we are looking at high-impact projects, really high-impact projects that we are defining by the following categories. They should be inspiring. They should be groundbreaking. And they have to be promising. And just to give you an example of uh, what inspiring work uh, that uh, we've been able to do is uh, one with uh, Oxford. Uh, Hannah Tumiston there was... uh, uh, funded initially by New Harvest to do an analysis on the impact of cultured meat on the environment compared to traditional meat produced in a cow, milk, uh, uh, sheep, or, uh, or, or a pig. And, and, the, and the results were really uh, uh, spectacular towards cell culture or cell agri- cellular agriculture with more than a 99% reduction in the use of land and 95% reduction in the use of water, significant reduction in the use of energy, and a huge reduction in greenhouse gases. Now, that was a speculative paper, right? But it created such a huge impact in creating the New Harvest community, getting researchers activated and getting engaged in this discussion, and has been cited maybe hundreds, if not thousands of times in many, many, many articles since then. And Hannah also has gone from getting funding from New Harvest to now doing life cycle analysis and being funded by the European Commission. So that's been very impactful. I'll tell you about the groundbreaking work that's been done in uh, Mark Post's lab, You know Mark Post has done a public tasting of the first beef burger in London a few years ago um, in August 2013. And it it received amazing attention, and there was a lot of traction. Um, And New Harvest was uh, very proud to bring together resources with Jason. And, and of course, we are on the Google campus where Sergey Brin funded that work initially. So uh, that's been groundbreaking for us. And uh, uh, there was this... uh, uh, um, Desire in me to create the same type of uh, environment in academic universities in the the US Because the work's being done outside the US But we needed someone here also to do the same And uh, I I tried to talk uh, in vain to many colleagues and scientists to start this project Uh, But, uh, you know, I got laughed off saying Do you want to go meet in my lab? Or do you want to do my grants and keep my job? uh, So, you know, it was a little frustrating But uh, finally I decided that why not I'll start the lab myself Uh, So I did start a lab earlier uh, this year, and uh, uh, this is my uh, colleague and um, a scientist behind this whole thing. His name is Dr. Nicholas Genovese. Um, I'll I'll detour briefly, personally, to tell you something. When people hear my name, Uma Valeti, if you don't see me, they're asking, is he Italian? And uh, (laughs) after you see me, you know I'm not Italian, not even my mom's uh, uh, taught physics, she is from South India. My dad's a veterinarian, he's from South India. So, as far as I know, there is no connection. But Nicholas Genovese is from Italy. And I think he is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he is a brother from another mother, truly, for me, because I was connected to him via New Harvest, where uh, he was trying to work in this field passionately for eight years, trying to see if somebody would give him traction to work on this area. And uh, our paths crossed through New Harvest, and uh, he is in the lab, and he's been working uh, since uh, in uh, in solving some of the technical hurdles in scaling up the production of uh, of cultured uh, meat. And these are just some films uh, that uh, Dr. Genovese sent me uh, as I came to this conference of just skeletal muscles uh, uh, contracting and uh, showing full viability in a cell culture dish. So the possibilities are, uh, you know, pretty limitless. Um, And the promising things... That's the third category I talked about. The promising ideas that we want to support are the ones that have a, a realistic chance of going into the commercial space and actually replace the animal products that are now on the shelves. So as an example, this is a group uh, called Clara Foods with uh, David Anchel and Arturo Elizondo who came together at a new high sponsored event in the Bay Area last year and started talking about their commitment to, to growing um, egg whites in the lab. And uh, and Isha, the CEO for New Harvest, uh, very creatively put them together very quickly, had them write a proposal within five days, uh, sent them to an incubator here called IndieBio, and uh, they just graduated in June and got uh, close to $2 million in funding, and they're opening a lab in the Bay Area. Wow. So the things are happening really fast in this space. And this is MUFRI. This is another uh, huge story last year where these are two individuals who are volunteers for New Harvest, Ryan Pandya and Perumal, who wanted to... Uh, solve the problem that the dairy industry faces. They said, we want to grow milk in the lab. And uh, again, uh, Isha put these guys together and sent them to an incubator in Ireland where they were on the farms and did some initial work. Came back here, got uh, uh, $2 million in funding initially, and now are on course to raise tens of millions of dollars by the end of this year to solve this problem. And there's also a lot of creative people out there in this whole space of New Harvest friends and family, and there's an imaginative group that said, Let's imagine the food's available now. What can we do to cook it? And uh, Ryan, thanks for giving me that book. Uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal book. They have very creative ideas of meat, the way you can imagine eating it, or you would have never imagined eating it, including colored meatballs that the kids might like. And, and, and I think it's just a start of a, a new uh, uh, gastronomic uh, uh, adventure. We've also been very resourceful. Uh, you know, in the true spirit of EA, we want to do the most good with the least resources available. And in 2013 and 14, we've been able to do this with less than $60,000 uh, for all expenses, personnel, travel, media, and helping people. And we've been able to multiply that because of our ability to bring talented people together. But that also made us realize that we have an inherent restlessness to amplify those effects much more than what we can do with $60,000. And therefore, we're going to start a seed research program. It's going to be a program that's meant to stimulate people that want to solve some technical problems. And so this is going to be seed grants for uh, about 40 or so groups, up to 50,000 in the next two years. And uh, the intent of that is to generate data so that those can be used to apply for the large grants from the NSF. Uh, We also want to help you with grant management, outreach, and conferences and roundtables so that we can bring the policymakers and the industry leaders to actually solve this problem and, and create the investment opportunities that are required to scale this up to heights that we really need to solve this. Uh, and I'll leave with this penultimate slide uh, uh, where one of, the, one of the mathematicians and a volunteer for New Harvest uh, put together the speculative back-of-the-envelope calculations to say, well, let's assume some doomsday scenarios that there's only a 1% chance that in vitro meat or cultured meat would be successful, that there would be a 99% chance that it would fail. And let's say that in 20 years from now, we'll convince 10% of the population to accept in vitro meat. And let's say we need to fund 10 labs for a million dollars a year for 20 years. Now, these are very slow-moving things, if you ask me. I want us to move faster than that, but that's an investment of $200 And if the population 20 years from now as projected is going to be five uh, uh, 9 billion, and if we assume 5 billion people are going to be eating meat, 10% of that is 500 million or half a billion. So that's 40 cents for person who converts to eating cultured meat. That's pretty good investment on the dollar if you ask me. Again, this is at a slow pace of things thinking that we're very conservative in our estimates. So uh, I'm going to come back to this favorite quote that we all love, uh, that 50 years from now will escape the absurdity of growing a whole chicken and uh, uh, in order to eat the breast or the, or the wings by growing it in a suitable culture medium. Now, when Winston Churchill said that, there was no technology available to do it. But I can tell you that there is technology now, there's knowledge, uh, there's expertise, and New Harvest is trying to build this field and industry of creating the awareness needed to galvanize uh, uh, you know the general public into, uh, into action to make this a reality for all of us. If you have any questions, I'd be very happy to answer the questions in the lobby. and uh, That's my email address if you want to reach out to me. And I want to thank you for your attention.